Hi, I'm Mickey Lowe. Hi, I'm Bishop Todd. And welcome, welcome to, to the, the C4SO, C4SO podcast. podcast. Mickey, hello. Greetings to you in Tampa. Hey, Bishop Todd. It's great to be back. I know. It's good to see you again. And today I get to introduce you to one of my favorite people, Tish Harrison Warren. And I love getting to meet all your friends, Bishop Todd. Yeah, she's really a wonderful mix of being a competent theologian, you know, like a really good thinker. But she also has really good spiritual instincts Mm -hmm. about just everyday Christian life. Yes, she is an accomplished minister and an author. And so we talk about her new book on Advent, uh, about Advent, the themes of Advent, and just some really practical little things that she has done and, and invites us to do. And this book is a great resource. I really recommend it. I recommend all her books, really. I proudly own every single one. So we Look are, at you, a fangirl. Yeah, I totally fangirl. I was trying really hard not to, but <laughs> <laughs> we are, are just so thrilled to share today's episode with our friend, Tish Harrison Warren. Well, Tish, it's so good to have you on the show today. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. I'm so glad to be with you guys. I always like to be on this podcast because it feels like hanging out with friends. You know, starting off with sort of a fun question, maybe a couple fun ones, as we think about and prepare ourselves for the season of Advent, you know, it's a season of hope. What fun, silly thing are you hoping for these days? Well, this one is fun, possibly slightly silly. Okay, so I'm on sabbatical right Mm. now. And I won't tell your spiritual director that you showed up on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we won't tell. Yes, I actually have agreed to a certain number of podcasts, mostly ones that I with people that I would hang out with. Partly because my sabbatical started in August, and this book came out in August, so I couldn't exactly oh, right. be like, yeah. ah, right, right. I'm not promoting it at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that, mostly not writing, and I'm not writing for the Times right now. So. I have been really seeking rest. Mm. I really need rest. But for me in my life, it's been a little bit of a white whale, like this thing that's really hard to get because I have three children. I've tried to go on sabbatical from them, but they... (laughs) (laughs) It's a different story. (laughs) Moms don't get sabbatical. Right. Um, You know, with um, things like podcast here and there, but also just... Um, life that's come up and, uh, you know, our refrigerator broke last week. And so having to like, yeah, now we have to see about getting that fixed and it's going to be too much to fix. So now we have to find a new refrigerator. So today I'm going refrigerator shopping, which isn't exactly restful. So So there's your silly hope, a new refrigerator. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we have one now. Life doesn't stop with that. But one of the unexpected joys of sabbatical with rest finding is we got a hammock. And this hammock, uh. in my mind, this is something our kids have been asking us for it. And I was doing this for my kids. And I thought I would like basically never use this hammock. I freaking love this hammock. That's like, awesome. <laughs> it's a win-win. Nice. Yeah. I started I started using it. I'm saying it like it's a drug. I started I <laughs> yeah. I I spent some time with the hammock and it was like love at first hammock. It was love um it. Again, like rest has been really hard to come by, but the little bit of time I've gotten on this has been genuinely joyful. Oh, yeah. that's so great. And, that's and good. Restful. So one of the silly things I'm hoping for is much more time in the hammock. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm like basically like sort of shaping my whole life of around how can I get more time in the hammock. <laughs> yeah, right yeah. And like today I had some time, but it rains, which it never does uh, in Texas. So it okay. has to be like a nice day. Right. But anyway, so I'm hoping for hammock time. Austin, my city that I love, has um, a trail of lights where you kind of walk through mm. this mm-hmm. lit. I mean, it's kind of self-explanatory. It's, it's yeah. exactly like it sounds. It's very fun though. Very great. We always get hot chocolate and it's a Mm. fun time for the kids. And last year we um, got tickets and got kind of a special 
extra expensive tickets for a fun night out. And then the first one was canceled because of bad weather. I think there was threats of like an ice storm. And then the second one, it was, oh, there had been a lot of rain and it was too muddy. So the point is we never got to see it last year. And it's a family tradition. So I'm really hoping this year we get to go see the trail lights. Yeah, those are good Mm. ones. I love that. So maybe in that vein, what is your favorite aspect of like the season of Advent? Like think of the wreath, the the music, the readings, the beginning of the liturgical year. What's kind of, what are some of your favorites? It would be hard for me to pick a specific practice. Like my kids would definitely say the wreath because we do Mm, it and they love it and they get chocolate associated with it through the calendar which is completely at odds with the historic practice of Advent, the chocolate part is, but Mm -hmm. we indulge them in that. Um, But for me, I mean, it wouldn't be a specific, it's really, um, it's a few things. The season itself, I love that the church holds space for uh, acknowledgement of pain and reflection there's just like a lot of violence right yeah, now in the right. world and a lot of children suffering and a lot of war crimes all around. And, mm-hmm. um, and we're going into this season where we talk about Jesus as the Prince of peace. Um, and it just would feel so false to me to say, rah, 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 Jesus is the Prince of peace in this world where there's a lot of lack of peace. There's a lot of war right. and violence. And so I think, Years like this, I felt this really strongly during COVID, years when things feel difficult and heavy, um, man, I begin to, I notice in my bones like a longing for Advent. It feels like the way that the church acknowledges that together allows us to be honest with each other and honest kind of to, to face what's true about the world. So I mean, I'm really looking forward to that. I guess if I had to pick a practice, one of the ways I find that helpful is I love the I love the music of Advent. Mm. I think we yeah, it's um, distinct. Yeah, there's so much about sort of how early can I start Christmas music? And I'm not against Christmas music. I mean, we I'll just confess when we first started practicing Advent, when we were new zealous Anglicans, we were like you know, don't bring out the Christmas music till Christmas, <laughs> yeah. you know, December 25th. Yeah. Right, we, right. we get like the Charlie Brown, Vince Girardi trio out now, like we'll do it, you know, early December. We'll do that at the mm-hmm. Advent. We'll do, we'll start having music sooner. That said, the hymnody of Advent doesn't get enough like fanfare. I feel like, yeah. like um, the, meditative, um, silent minor keys. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, certainly of like, you know, the great, the greatest hits of Advent, like, um, the like Okamo Kami Manual. Right. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. But some of those sort of quieter, reflective, yeah. um, looking at mortality, those are right. really good sort of hymns, little mortal flesh, keep silent. These hymns right. that, yeah, that are good for that season. Someone who follows my work may notice this trend, but I certainly sort of tend towards melancholy, tend towards minor keys. So mm. for me, the real discipline is celebration. It's like oh, it's right. Christmas. Yeah, yeah. It's time to actually proclaim hope. Like, don't yeah. get stuck. Um, right. But in that sense, in 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 some ways, Advent is sort of made for me. It's kind of made for me types that need the church to be like, this is where we're going to be really honest about the pain of this year. And I'm really looking forward to that. And music helps, of course. Mm -hmm. I think anything, anytime we're wrestling with things that are both true rationally and true emotionally, music is helpful towards that space. Yeah, totally. Well, we're super glad a you type like you uh, wrote this book on Advent and for those who haven't seen it, uh, it's got five sections in it. Uh, yearning, longing, crying out, stirring, and approaching. And so we'll get you to touch base on each of those, Tish. But before we do, I think it's in the introduction. I found this really evocative idea of immersive theater. 
mm-hmm. of the calendar of the church being immersive theater. I find it really imaginative. What are you picturing when you use that phrase? And like, how, how does one practice that? Yeah. Well, I, I have to say I'm not like the first to come up with this idea. I wish I was. I think the first person I heard this from was actually the late Thomas McKenzie. So ah, I feel okay. like I need to give him a yeah, shout please out for do. that. And yes. Julie Canlis has also written about this. Mm. Some She spoke about it. So other people have brought this up. So immersive theater, for those who do not know, I would say it's almost like a subsection cousin of performance art in the sense that it is a theater performance. Mm-hmm. You're watching a play, but um, step into it. You become part, a character in it. A, a very famous one that actually Tara Burton writes about in her book, Strange Rights, is um, that you, you would walk into this house and there were actors who were mm. doing this show, but you may be, they may turn to you and start talking to you like a character. Right. Yeah. You are... If you've ever been part of um, a popular version of this is like um, those mystery games where uh, uh, yeah. like yeah. people will pay. This is very hipsters love this, <laughs> but you, you pay to be part of a mystery game where someone's right. an actor, someone has died, an act, you know, not really. Yeah. Yeah. And you're part of figuring out this sort of together. So. Yeah. It's a performance, but it's a performance where everyone participates as a character. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's a great analogy for the liturgical calendar because we're walking into the story of Christ. When you walk through the year, it tells of the waiting of the people of Israel, people in the Old Testament for the Messiah to come the incarnation, the birth of the Messiah, the slow dawning that this is no ordinary person, that this isn't just, you know, Joseph and Mary's son. So that's epiphany is kind of the light of Christ going to the nations, recognizing the Messiahship of Jesus. And then we have Lent and the wilderness fasting, the brokenness of the world that obviously place this culminates is Holy Week where I mean, you can't be in an Anglican Palm Sunday service and not see it. I mean, we really like act out together. Right, yeah. right. That, you know, in many, many churches, you yell, crucify him, right? Yeah. You're participating in this. And, right. and then, and then, of course, the death of Jesus on Good Friday and the resurrection and then the birth of the church in Pentecost. And so we walk through all the entire story of scripture like a play, but not as just people watching something like a movie, but participating in it. We actually sort of enter in to the extent we can imaginatively, like performance art, we enter in to the story, to what people might have experienced waiting for the Messiah to come, Mm -hmm. to the surprise of Jesus's birth. And um, so we walk through this as actors, as part of the, as participating, because I'm on the C4SO podcast, I will use words like (laughs) sacramental participation. There's a sacramentality that allows us to participate through time in the story of Jesus. And this allows, you know, the church calendar, I think is, is only one way to do that. It's not the only way, um, but it's a really powerful way that's lasted you know, centuries, because it does bring people into the story of scripture in a unique way. Okay, so in the first section, yearning, you talk about the three advents of Jesus. And as I was reading this, I I was telling Bishop Todd, you know, as we were prepping, and I was recounting to him as I was reading this for the first time, how refreshing I found that um, you talk about the coming of Christ in our present moment through the Holy mm. Spirit. I think for a lot of us, especially those of us who are you know newer to the Anglican tradition or just starting to wrap our minds around it, you know, we think of okay, the incarnation, mm-hmm. and then the second coming of Christ, and those mm-hmm. are two major themes. But I, I love what you wrote about the coming of Christ in our present moment through the mm. Holy Spirit as an advent of Jesus. But could you say more about how Advent connects? to the reception and the experience of the Holy Spirit? I will say I identify with that. I think I have been realizing the Holy Spirit is the sort of this missing 
<laughs> part of the Trinity to me. Mm-hmm. I kind of connect with the Father, mm, uh, yeah, and you know, especially the Son. All about Jesus. You know, I was a Presbyterian for a while, so we're all about Jesus mm, and atonement. Yeah. And then the Holy Spirit's like, has sort of like, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's there, but <laughs> Right. That's sort of the weird, uh, you know, that's also there, right? I am trying to figure out what does it mean if we have a relationship with God, Father, Son, and Spirit to have an actual relationship with the Holy Spirit? And mm-hmm. um, how, how is that, you know, how how is that not simply like, well, you know, some weird charismatic things happen once, you know, how is that the, more than just like tongues alone or something? We connect with the incarnation, Christmas, the coming of the sun. Everybody mm-hmm. loves that because, mm-hmm. you know, I would say it's one of the greatest hits of the Christian calendar. Right. It's the one that even our secular neighbors are into. Totally. Um, but, and the second coming, um, you know, way less popular on a, on even within the church to talk about that, but it's really kind of the source of our hope in the creed. Right. We, we talk about the return of Jesus and we're waiting for that. But there is this sense of, well, where does that leave me now? And especially when you mm. are suffering, it mm, feels like that's a great point. I know Jesus is going to come back and make things right, but uh, how do I get through the day? How do I get through the yeah. hour? How do exactly. I deal with my yeah. child who has an addiction or my... You should write a book on Liturgy of the Ordinary. (laughs) It sounds like it would be your specialty. Yeah, it sounds like it's right up your alley. (laughs) Love it. It's okay. Uh, So, I mean, like I was saying, you know, I think Advent for me is a real invitation to honesty about where do I need Jesus to come? Mm. Not just abstractly. Yes, I need Jesus to return. Yes, I need the hope of the incarnation. But in my actual life, in my actual mm. relationships, in my work, in my body, in my friendships, in my church, where are the places that yeah. I need the advent of Christ, the yeah. coming of Amen. Christ? Mm. And like I brought up with the violence in the world, the war, the wars that we're experiencing, like right. the Prince of Peace can't just be this thing that happened 2000 years ago and that we're waiting for, you know, in the future, yeah. there has to be a sense that the Prince of Peace reigning on earth and in, in real time makes a, a difference in the church's life now. Yeah. And what are the very sort of specific places year by year that we're longing for the return of Christ? And of course, that will always be incomplete until Christ literally returns and brings the new heaven and new earth, right? Mm-hmm. Until Jesus is really sets all things new, as he says, or right. makes all things new. In the person of the spirit, we God is at work in the world. And so it gives the church space year by year to say, in our own kind of context, where are we waiting for the coming of Christ now? Mm. Yeah. yeah. So Tish, the second section of the book is longing, where you talk about the four themes of Advent. Mm-hmm. And among them are uh, waiting and repentance and rest. And I'm wondering how in your imagination, you know, if you think of repentance, if you think of waiting, if you, if you think of a word like practices, that actually all sounds like work. And actually, mm-hmm. obviously, there is things that we do here. So how do you imagine it is that we do the appropriate practices of Advent while experiencing simultaneous rest? Yeah. Or is it sequential? Like one comes from the other. Like, how do you imagine that? This is something I'm still working out. I almost would love, I would love your thoughts. on this. <laughs> I mean, you're the bishop. Uh, <laughs> I, um, I write in the book about wrestling with this because mm-hmm. that, you know, the verse in repentance and rest is your salvation and quietness Mm -hmm. and trust is, is your strength for me. And for my background, which I grew up pretty, you know, like Baptistic, um, rest and repentance feel like such completely different postures. Mm -hmm. Repentance feels like this. I need to, you know, this is, this is rigorous. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Sackcloth. Exactly. Rigorous work, yeah. do better. Um, and rest is this sort of like, 
let yourself off the hook. You know, mm-hmm. give yourself some space. Don't be so hard on yourself. Yeah. <laughs> it feels such different postures. And scripture seems to hold them together. And I honestly wrestle with that in the pages of this book, Can wrestle should wrestle with that much more in writing. Um, mm. I would love to write a book someday on, on sin and repentance and grace mm. um, yeah. and the way those go together. Because this is something... I'm telling you, like in my daily life, yeah, I wrestle yeah. with this question all the time. Here's what I'm sort of coming up with, and okay. I, you guys can tell me what you think. But I, first of all, think the notion of repentance as sort of doing better uh-huh. is such an inadequate notion of what repentance is. Mm. Yeah, good point, um, Tish. That it, it does sort of lend itself to just legalism to cleaning yourself yeah. up mm-hmm. by your own yeah. strength. And my favorite definition of repentance is uh, I heard it from John Mark Comer. He got it from um, a Catholic priest who I quote in the book, but rethinking the world from the ground up, mm-hmm. meaning yeah. putting instead of us and our effort and our desires and our self being in the center of our life and world, God becoming the center of our life and world. That actually is an, is not only an act of grace, but it also gives us a posture where we don't have to hold our life together, kind of um, white knuckle our life to sort of just hold it together and, um, and do so kind of out of our own strength. There's right. a letting mm-hmm. go yeah. that repentance invites us into and arresting in Jesus. I also think I'm learning that if we just see repentance as sort of doing better, I don't think we're seeing our sin as deep enough um, mm. and as like destructive enough. <laughs> what sure, I mean yeah. is that I think in the biggest places of repentance in my own life, I almost, I get to the place where it's not just like, oh, you know, I'm, I don't know. I had two shots of vodka and should have only had one. I mean, that's, that is very real. I'm not taking away that, but it's, it's much more sort of like, Lord, I don't even know how I've gotten here. I'm Mm, so wrapped up in my own sort of uh, neuroses, fears, uh, compulsions, yeah. uh, uh, idolatry. I don't even know how I got here. I, my thinking mm, yeah. is off enough yeah. that I'm not going to be able to get myself out of this place. I need the mercy of God to intercede and set me to rights in ways that I'm not I don't, I'm not capable of that mm-hmm. are, are so much more pervasively um, transformative than I can get to on my own. I also just think that um, to see repentance in that way does, does a disservice to truly how unrestful sin is. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. right. That sin so actually good. keeps us busy and keeps us yeah. sort of angry and on the hook and anxious. Like, and anxious. Totally, exactly. Yeah. Like, I mean, the ultimate picture I think of, of repentance is, is, a process that many of us have seen of, of addiction and recovery. Mm-hmm. I, I'm really, really drawn to the recovery community because they seem in some ways so much more honest yeah. about their own propensity towards addiction that I actually think all of us share. And of course, not always to illegal drugs or alcohol, but we are addicted to being right or addicted to being um, applauded or addicted to attention or addicted right. to, Things that allow that that start in the exact same way as an addict help us to bend the truth or help our brains yeah, to right. care about about this thing, whatever it is, approval more than the people we claim to love, right? And so, mm-hmm. but if you've ever met someone in the throes of addiction, nobody would look at that and say that's restful. Your whole life is spent on the wheels of running after something that's destroying you. Right. That's actually all of us. And repentance is allowing us to sort of 
be free of that. And um, yeah. which is why I think grace, uh, we, we, tend, we tend to think of sort of <laughs> repentance, if, if it is just doing better, is that sort of like, that's kind of like us getting better. And grace is when we screw up and fall back on this kind of um, mm. net that catches yeah. us. And of course, grace is a net that catches us. But I actually think grace is the is what frees us to rest. It's the transformational work of God. Grace creates saints, right? Like this is Dallas yeah. Willard would ask his class, who uses, burns up, kind of uses more grace of God? Is it, you know, like the degenerate, you know, kind yeah. of like drug addict mm, and the, yeah. you know, cussing and yeah. screaming at people? Or is it, you know, Mother Teresa? Or is it, you know, a saint? And, you know, the class would normally be like, well, you know, the people that are kind of the screw-ups, the, they, they're like, that's, you know, they're kind of falling on the grace of God. And, of course, Jesus came from the sinners, and there's something that's true about that. But Willard would say, saints burn grace like a jet like a, a, a jet 747 on, it used to say yes 747 yeah. jet on takeoff yeah. yeah i love that idea that grace yeah. is actually this propulsion that it's this thing that propels us to rest it's the thing mm. that yeah. moves us to repentance it's the thing that transforms us and um so and it's, that not, it's like awake and alive in saints like, yeah. like you said, yeah. repentance isn't just for the sinners, but it's what fuels saints. Yeah. The, exactly. The grace of right. God. Right. And that, that sainthood in this sense isn't just getting real busy doing things for Jesus to try to yeah. like work off our own sin, but is actually letting go of our, you know, despotic control of our own lives so that grace can kind of run amok and, I, again, I wrestle with this on like a daily basis, but I'm, I think that I'm being kind of wooed into a bigger view of repentance than mm-hmm. I had before. Thinking about your section on crying out the two prophets of prophets of Advent, um, Isaiah and John the Baptist. Um, you know, I really wanted to ask you about this practically because our church is going to be preaching on the Isaiah readings this year. Many of us are, I'm sure. How, how do we make Isaiah a living word to our congregation? So- well, um, I'm not an Isaiah expert. I have to say that. But I would say Isaiah feels real relevant to me. So Isaiah 6, one of my favorite passages, year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. That, mm-hmm. that would have been a time of great turmoil. It would have been a time of political upheaval, polarization, great fear and anxiety um, because this leader died and there wasn't, it wasn't clear politically what would happen next. Um, I mean, we're in a time of anxiety, polarization, fear. uh, And I, and there was the Lord sitting on the throne (laughs) in the sense of (laughs) unshaken. Like there was this, this earthly government seemed to, to be in turmoil. Um, And the things that kind of kept, kept people safe seemed to be in turmoil. Mm, And yet there was the, the kingship of God was not in turmoil and it was out of yeah. that encounter with God, Isaiah seeing his own sin, seeing mm-hmm. societal sin. There is a place there of goes against individualism, of, of evangelicalism, um, a collectivism of progressivism that um, then belittles or, or ignores kind of individual sin. It goes against both, right? Right. Yeah. It, it's totally. both his own repentance that's needed, but he sees societal and and society, the structures around him as broken as well. The sin is pervasive and then the need for repentance is pervasive. And it's out of that broken place of humility that he's sent. He's not sent with all the answers. He's sent as someone who's encountered God and, and seen his sin. 
And then Isaiah's um, view of salvation, which I talk about in the book, is just also so big. It's mm-hmm. so pervasive. It's yeah. it's yeah. not just individuals. It's this collective salvation of the whole world. But then it goes beyond that to the cosmos, to right. yeah. um, what's called by theologians an ecotopia, uh, that the vision he has of what Jesus is doing sets not only people, and I, I'm saying Jesus there, I, I know, I understand it's in the Old Testament, but to Christians, we see the fulfillment of what he's saying right. in Christ to the point where uh, in the early church, they referred to Isaiah as the fifth gospel um, because it was seen so much as a, as a book about Jesus right, right, um, and the work of Jesus. But if that's the case, the work is cosmic in nature. It's um, ecological in nature. He talks a lot about the restoration of the actual earth, the physical earth, about um, the work of people's hands in the earth. Um, And so it involves work. It involves community. It involves systems and structures. It involves um, the environment, like the, the kind of poison unleashed through sin on earth being restored that i mean the earth itself being restored from that and so it's this really big view of salvation that really expands if if someone has grown up in a pietistic kind of it's me and jesus and i give my heart to jesus and now i'm going to heaven and that's kind of the whole gospel. Mm, yeah. Isaiah blows that out of the water. It just makes it yeah. so much bigger Definitely. than the work, the work of Jesus. And I think people are longing for a view of salvation that's really comprehensive, but that also involves, you know, individual repentance and um, being set right. And so that's one thing I would say is just like yeah. Isaiah's constantly saying the work of the Messiah is bigger than you think. It's bigger than mm, you think. Yeah. Just however big you think it is, think bigger. Even and more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's even bigger. It's even more. The train of his robes was filling the temple. But not only that, <laughs> angels around him. But not only that, there was an earthquake, right? Like, yeah. it just feels like every passage is like that, though. You know, like the lion mm-hmm. is laying down with the lamb. It just is like, it's bigger. This is so comprehensive. So he's doing a lot of a, of work of almost an artist in the sense that he's imagination expanding. Yeah. That's right. what Isaiah is doing. And we need that work right now. Mm, yeah. yeah. That's so good. That's exactly what it feels like. He sort of reshapes our understanding of what this is. And it's it's beyond even what we imagine. And I think that I think gives people this sort of fresh understanding. Um, and I think that's something that we utilize to, you know, as we're leading people, as we're teaching through these passages. Can I say something about that specifically? So yeah. about, specifically about the ecological piece of it, I had a great experience when I was working at the New York Times and I was working with an editor who um, I don't, I, I think I can say, she would not call herself a Christian. She's very spiritual for sure. Um, but doesn't have any kind of religious sort of background, Yeah. but cared is, is young. She's really young and, um, you know, cared deeply about the environment, does a lot of kind of ecological advocacy and work. And she's a delightful person and she was great to work with. And I wrote a piece in Advent about Isaiah and this big picture of ecological redemption and how, how organizations like Arasha, uh, which is a Christian environmentalist group, draw from that particular passage and vision of Isaiah mm. to inspire their work, that they are participating in redemption of the planet um, and the new heavens and new earth, right? And and I also just talked a lot about creation care in general and Christian creation care. And she 
wrote me afterwards or maybe even called me, I can't remember, and said, like, this blew my mind. I mean, she said the only thing I kind of knew about Christianity and the environment was just, you know, <laughs> like colonialism, destroying like Native American <laughs> culture, mm-hmm. paving over everything eventually, you know, the Industrial Revolution, like the sort of the way that the passages of scripture have been twisted around um, dominion, you know, and domination yeah, of the right. environment and, and Genesis to it not mean stewardship, but to mean sort of like, a, I don't know, do whatever you want, right? right. You Who know, cares? Like ex- exploitation. Exactly. Yeah. And so she was like, I genuinely thought the only thing that Christianity really had to say was exploit, was about exploiting mm. the planet. And the fact that this is in Isaiah, and I quoted Isaiah, she was like, this is beautiful. And the fact that Christians have actually been thinking about this for a long time, and it's inspired people to actually begin to work for the restoration of the planet Mm -hmm. was something that she had no idea. And I know, I see this all the time. You know, I see this all the time, Christians um, working out of the vision of Isaiah, of the new heaven and new earth. But she had no idea and was blown away by it. And this is like a, you know, secular New York, spiritual, not religious kind of person. And so I think there is this real hunger for the faith, just surprising us, I think, in ways that, that it hasn't before. Mm, so good. So Tish, in the last couple sections of the book, the first one's called Stirring. You walk through the four uh, colleagues of Advent, of casting away works of darkness, of hear, read, mark, learn, inwardly digest, uh, the collect about you sent your messengers as prophets, and then the last one, stir up your power, O Lord. And then the very last section, you talk about the eight practices of Advent. So again, if we pull all those practices together, given the context of Advent, 2023, as you've said earlier, given our world today, you know, if you were like either think of a pastor as you are or a mom, you know, a loving friend, like what would you really hope would happen to the people you love this Advent as Mm. we practice it, you know, given the context of late 2023? I think a few of the practices I really hope that my family and I will practice and my church and I will are rest and reflection. Mm -hmm. I do think we're very distracted as a culture and we're feeling things pretty, pretty deeply. There's a lot of brokenness in the world. We hear about all of it, a lot of it that we can't do much about. Like children are dying in Gaza today. And that is both, super out of my control and also absolutely emotionally overwhelming to me. Um, I think that we end up um, overwhelmed, numbing out, distracted. I say in the book um, that, who is it? It, Maybe it's Willard again that says the enemy trades in noise, hurry, and crowds. Oh, that Um, might be Nowen. I can't remember either. Oh, yeah, Nowen. Noise, hurry, and crowds. Yeah. Well, uh, that's what marks December <laughs> yeah. noise, hurry and crowds. And I yeah. would say, true. Yeah. yeah, it's loud. It's busy and we feel hurried and harried yeah. and crowds. And I think Advent calls us away from noise, away from crowds <laughs> to mm-hmm. solitude, right. and away from busyness and yeah. a time of, of, refre- uh, of a time of reflection and a time of rest. And so, I hope for that, I think to look back on some of the pain of this year and make real space for it, make space for groaning to God, to have the Prince of Peace uh, show up, right? Mm -hmm. That the eschaton would break in even now in ways. Um, I think the practice of fasting, is so important to Advent from the very, very beginning. Yeah. Fasting and almsgiving have been yeah. 
basically what Advent was about for Christians. I mean, we wreaths are very new practice. Calendars are extremely new practice. And what the church has done from the beginning is, is rest, reflect, fast, and give. Mm-hmm. And um, so I really hope that fasting, even if what we're fasting from is things that distract us, so maybe food, but also social media, um, the news. Uh, mm-hmm. I know people, not recommending this per se, but I know people who have um, given up, kind of fasted from electric light. Um, mm-hmm. So to really experience the darkness of the world, mm, but the light yeah. of Christ. So turn your lights off at night and turn any screens off and light a bunch of candles kind of thing. Like there's a, mm, yeah. um, so I hope that I will practice fasting in some way, um, maybe through actual food fasting, um, but also um, holding back on some of the things that distract me and numb me. And I would love to see that even in my children in small ways. Um, Like we've talked about, they don't know this yet, and it might be met with moaning and wailing and gnashing of teeth, but (laughs) limiting um, TV time. We Mm. won't take it away altogether probably because, I mean, who's got – I got to get through Advent alive. But but limiting that for Advent and then letting it – letting it rip for Christmas. I mean, letting, Mm, that's the thing. I, all all, Advent needs to really be intense and embraced, but you have to be really careful that you are more intentional and more intense and more embracing of celebration. Right. Do not bring your family, your church, (laughs) your congregation, through this somber advent, if you're not, and then just give them kind of a sort of sad, lame Christmas. <laughs> Christmas. Like you yeah. have to go all out. You, you yep. got to yeah. You got to mm-hmm. make the the rejoicing, yeah, as intense, more intense, right? Than the preparation. You have to. So yeah. all of the fasting, reflection, prayer. I hope will then just make us really, really, you know, like a like a pulling back a rubber band, Mm. just the tautness and tension there to be, to let that rubber band go. And it just flies Mm. into celebration, rejoicing. Um, We will have lots of feasting and lots of chocolate and lots of fun during Christmas. (laughs) That's a good word. Yeah. Oh man. Well, Tish, that is such a good word. We're, we're so grateful for you sharing your wisdom with us and, and your book. We can't recommend it enough. We've bought so many copies for our leaders <laughs> as they oh, get ready for, you. yeah, as Thanks. they get ready for leading uh, an advent groups. So it's a great I resource. Feel like I got to give it because this is a C4SO podcast. I need to give a shout out that I wrote this with my husband. I've never, never yeah. written yes. anything with Love him that. before. It was yeah. an experiment and it went okay. Yeah. I don't know so if we'll good. ever do it again, but we stayed married. <laughs> And you, gotta awesome. give a, and you got to give a shout out to Esau, the, uh, yeah, the, Esau the series editor. Series so. editor who wrote me into this. Yes. Yep. So it's kind so of wonderful. C4SO thing going here. Yeah. Yes. It is. It is. There's a lot of, that's a project. And Emily does, Emily McGowan is the Christmas. Yes, oh, Christmas. Yes. Yeah. I'm so excited. So maybe let's close real quick with some grace that, um, you know, we're sort of exploring this theme, uh, in our Advent series is having grace for ourselves. Um, when we don't follow through with our Advent practices as we should, or maybe we try Mm -hmm. our hardest and it doesn't work out. You know, I've got a toddler. Uh, we try a lot of things, um, (laughs) when it comes to practicing things in the church calendar and sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us about uh, a time when an Advent practice fell apart for you or your family, and mm-hmm. how did you find grace versus judgment and disappointment? Yeah, I I do need to say it's funny that I have ended up being sort of like the Christian practices lady, you know, through I mean, through yeah. liturgy of the ordinary, yeah. yeah, yeah, that sort of thing, because I am just incredibly undisciplined. I mean, Mm. there are people that are like very type A, can't go to sleep with their 
house not perfect, you know, mm-hmm. have all of the Advent candles bought, you know, well in advance. Like yeah. I am just not that personality. <laughs> and so maybe this is the thorn in the flesh the Lord has given me to humble me in yeah. the sense that <laughs> I had I was on a podcast a few years ago and I was talking about a practice my family does every day. Um, I was like, I don't even remember what it was, maybe Compline, I don't know, but you know, we do this every day. And then I stopped and said, okay, but I need to be clear here. When I say every day, when I say it's a daily practice, I mean like maybe we'd get to it three to four times a week because I have a, (laughs) I have a little guy who is, I mean, we don't get, we don't get anything done every day. I don't brush my teeth every day. I (laughs) totally get it. He doesn't brush his teeth every day. Like, yeah. So, um, daily is more of a, aspiration than a reality. Sure. Same here. It kind of has to be for us a daily practice if we're going to get it three to four times. If we say we're going to do this twice a week, we're just never going to do it kind of thing. Um, So um, that's A. (laughs) I have friends that are really disciplined and God bless them. And I actually think it's good to be like that. I'm not trying to glorify the way that, you know, I am. Um, but, or chaos or anything. But I think when I talk about this, I'm sort of assuming all of this is happening in real life, in real time, and people are going to get sick and people are going to need things. And that's just very normal. The other thing is I really, really see Advent as just a tool Um, Mm. to the point where, (laughs) I mean, this book's about Advent. I hope you practice Advent. If you read this whole book, and you get a lot of good stuff on waiting and mourning and meeting Jesus and repenting, and you never practice Advent, I'm fine with that. Like, maybe I shouldn't be. Maybe IVP will, like, dock me for saying that. <laughs> duck my pay, but I feel like... I was thinking about Jonathan arguing with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, no, he's, he is even... I... I tend to be the guilt one. He, does, oh. he doesn't have guilt. Jonathan I was just, just thinking of Jonathan protecting guilt. Advent. I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> but he, if there's one person that's going to feel like guilty in our home about like skipping the Advent wreath for the day, it's going to be me. Mm, Advent. Yeah. Um, sure, sure. But I think a, a time in, that it's fallen apart, I'm like, when has it not? I think <laughs> what um, we do, you know, the Advent wreath and then, and we read scripture with it very often. We don't do that. And then we'll have, we'll go, oh, we haven't done this for the last four days. And so it's like, do you do all four scripture readings? Do we mm-hmm. just try to combine them in one? I mean, so we're always figuring that out. Yeah. There was one year. <laughs> Here we go. Now we're going to get to the funny story. <laughs> just because I was like, I think this was when I was writing a Liturgy of the Ordinary or maybe Prayer in the Night. It was sometime when I was really writing a lot about practices and people were having mm-hmm. me on podcasts and I was doing all, you know. Yeah. And... I didn't have an advent wreath, didn't have an advent candle. And I think it was like 10 to 15 days into advent where I like finally actually started practicing advent where we Mm -hmm. got the Mm -hmm. stuff and we like, we're like, oh, we need to like maybe think about, you know, I don't know, like reflection or, or rest or, or fasting from something. I think we just started advent really late and it was because it was busy. And then certainly, of course, there's those times where we're, you know, doing Advent devotionals and someone hits their sister and you're like, <laughs> yeah. you know, singing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And you're like, stop hitting. Yeah. Um, and, and they're done. That, that's just mm-hmm. absolutely to be expected. And yeah. so right. um, I think that's totally fine. I mean, that gosh, if we had to wait until our Christian practices looked like Instagram worthy. I mm. think we would never do Christian practices. True. And so that's so good. Um, all of this, like the point of Advent, I, I cannot emphasize this enough for there's a certain type of personality that's really an overachiever, really likes to get their spiritual ducks in a row. I, I have tendencies like this for sure, but no one is grading you on Advent. Like right. no one's mm. noticing, yeah. nobody sees, nobody cares. Yeah. God, when you encounter him, he's 
isn't going to bring up, you know, Advent 2023. Like it's yeah. that's hey, you didn't do your reading, and neither will you. I mean, you will <laughs> yeah. fall silent in the glory of Jesus, mm. and there won't be like, hey, sorry about that Advent time. I think um, <laughs> the point of Advent is meeting Jesus. Mm-hmm. And Advent is a tool to do that, but it is not the object. It is just a tool. And there are yeah. many, many other right. tools to meet Jesus. There's many other ways. And if you get the Advent part really right, but miss kind of the encounter with God in that, mm-hmm. there's no one's giving you points for that. Yeah. You know, no, you're not right. getting, there's no grading system on this. Yeah. And so you have to let that go and use this as a tool to help you into the story of Jesus and into the actual, you know, presence of God yeah. in your life. And my husband, because I tend towards anxiety, he tells me all the time, if the means of grace, prayer, whatever, is making you anxious about doing it wrong, more than hungry for God, then you are doing it wrong. Like yeah. the the True. point isn't anxiety about these practices. Yeah. The right. point is hunger for God. So yeah. if you just feel like, man, I've blown it um, on Advent. I'm such a sinner. I I really am distracted, and I really, you know, am addicted to noise and hurry and crowds. Well, then that realization of yourself is probably the greatest thing that could come from that. Yeah. It's like, if that mm-hmm. moves you to, man, I really need mm-hmm. a yeah. rescuer. O come, O come, Emmanuel, right? Yes. So if, you're, if your failure of Advent gets you to the point of saying, I really need Emmanuel. I really need someone to come ransom me. I really am captive. Well, then that's that Advent's totally done its work in you. Yeah, um, right on. Yeah. And if your point, if the end of Advent, you go, oh man, I'm so impressed with how good I am at Advent, <laughs> yeah. then oh man, that's yeah. repent, you know, that, yeah. yeah, that's repent and, and just, you know, take your Advent wreath and throw <laughs> it out of your house. Like, it, so I just think, <laughs> oh, I think the so point is to see our need. Mm, oh, that's amen. so great, Tish. Thank you. Well, great to have you with us as always. Yes, thank you're, you, Tish. Uh, you're a delightful guest. And um, I know we and all of our listeners appreciate your wisdom. Thank you. Yeah. Holy, happy Advent to everyone. Yes. Thanks so much for tuning in to the C4SO podcast. If you like what you heard, please feel free to share this episode and subscribe and leave a review. It helps us to get the word out. Thanks. Thanks.